Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Still City Insider Podcast. I am part of this duo. My name is Jeremy Ritz, alongside the Jim Wexel of the Still City Insider, and we are here welcoming you to episode number eight of the podcast. Jim, very excited to be here with you this morning to talk a Steelers win. Oh, I tell you, that game was so exciting. It really was. I I got a call from my editor at Steeler Digest right after the game. What do you want to write about? I was just so excited. And he was so excited that I was excited that he might get some good copy for once. <laughs> it was a... Uh, <laughs> It was a satisfying win. That was the word that I used to describe it uh, following the win in Cleveland against really a top defensive unit in the Browns, not only against the the rush, but the pass. And they were also the number one ranked rushing offense. And really, the Steelers put it all together. We're going to cover all aspects of the game from Najee Harris's big performance, the defensive line maintaining their gap integrity, and even that uh, spooky Halloween uh, fake field goal that failed so miserably. We're going to get into all that. And we'll finish up as we always do with the terrible three with Jim. But Jim, let's jump right into it. The Steelers are back in the thick of things, moving to four and three with this big AFC North win. Um, they're in third place and they're getting ready for the Bears and the Lions and have a real shot to go six and three. But what was it about this game offensively that we, we saw some more improvement across the board, offensive line, Harris, those tight ends. But what stood out to you the most is being the reason on the offensive side of the ball uh, for them being able to hang on for the 15 to 10 win. Well, it was only 15 points, so I don't want to get too carried away. But I really like how Ben is – It's this is the wrong word, but he's kind of cute (laughs) dealing with these RPOs. You know, Mason Rudolph came in, and it seems like every week Ben says something that makes me think that we're all right, that he hates Mason. <laughs> Hate might be strong, but when Mason came in, he was all gung-ho on the RPOs. He did it in college. He, you know, he was one of the young kids coming up that did this all the time, and it came naturally to him. Ben, man, it didn't come naturally to him. It was a struggle. I think he he didn't throw that pick in the end zone from the two-yard line to a nose tackle that ended yes. a game with the Kansas City. Or- Denver. Was that against Denver yes. a couple years ago? Malik Jackson. Yeah. Yes. Malik was <laughs> Malik was in a funny – he got penalized after uh, – he got called for holding. It was one of those defensive holding calls that Hockey Lee made, and Malik Jackson uh, uh, was very funny. If you if you look look at that play over again. It's but but I don't want to get lost on Malik Jackson, but Ben struggled with the RPOs, and now it's he's getting it. Right. it uh, uh, the uh, what was the, the the pass to DJ at the end, the fifty yarder? I mean, he just stuck that right in his chest, and that was the that was a key play. Yeah. That, that was and that was a little risky too. I could see Twitter erupting over an incomplete pass there. Tomlin doesn't know what he's doing with time management. There we go again. But it was a needed pass. It was completed. And then he went 50. And then he stayed in bounds. All these little things. And, you know, the offensive line. It's funny. Just, uh, somebody tweeted today about pro football uh, focus gave their tackles a zero. Or, or uh, uh, Dan Moore a zero in pass protection. But we all we all loved how they run run blocked 
ran blocked so well that we didn't care that Miles Garrett beat him every single time. <laughs> yeah. And it's Miles Garrett, too. I mean, come on. It's Miles Garrett. And they didn't give him as much help as we expected. Ben just got his eye over there all the time and threw some beautiful timing patterns. So what was good about the offense? And they're using the middle of the field. All these things we've been talking about. And uh, the tackles are going to come along. I, I, I firmly believe Dan Moore is going to come along and that he had another lesson from Miles Garrett. So lessons are learned. And uh, overall, uh, what they learned most is, you know, I'm wearing my Bobcat colors today. And so <laughs> <laughs> I saw the zero, the tie there um, you, you had on your, your Facebook. Uh, the, was it for the MAC championship they played? That was for the regular season championship. Regular season championship. And they still got a buy, so that was key. Okay. Kent and they got a buy. So they're in the semifinals. They jump right to the semis Thursday. So it's a big week for the Bobcats. They can go to the NCAA tournament if they win two more games. Okay. And so, uh, uh, um, but what I noticed about them in the beginning of the year, they they were talented, but they, they would, they would, they went three and oh, and then they lost a couple easy games. They don't realize, and this is, this is, uh, this relates to the Steelers is why I bring this up. They didn't realize until then how hard they have to play to win. It's not like they're overly talented. They have enough talent, but they still have to play so hard. And, you know, the Steelers got away with it against Seattle, but they played so hard against Cleveland. And they have to remember how hard they played so they do this every week. I think personally that was the overriding uh, lesson that they all learned in this game. Yeah. And drilling down a bit more into that offense, the tight ends, uh, they probably had their best game as a complete unit. And what's surprising about that is that Eric Ebron wasn't on the field. It was Fred. That surprises you? <laughs> it doesn't surprise me because I've been advocating for uh, Ebron to be traded or even released. But Freyermuth, we, we knew he was going to come around. But Gentry, I mean, he continues to grow uh, as a blocker. And that big reception where he got open for 20 yards – I think that was a third down play, um, but I don't see how they put Ebron back on the field with what they've generated in the running game with these two on the field um, and just the passing attack. I know that that's the second time, second consecutive game. I think they're through a little screen at Gentry. Um, but what do you account for this improvement in the tight ends? I really don't want to see that screen anymore. I mean, it, worked, it worked the first time. And what happened this past week is what we see all the time, whether it's practice or preseason, a couple yards, just a big lumbering guy. And, and, and he's got good hands. He's, he's, he's quick enough. And he's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. It, it's exciting to see him develop. And, you know, he came as a quarterback and a thinking type guy and a tough guy. So I'm glad they've allowed him to, because everybody, not everybody, a lot of people wanted to cut him in favor of Raider. You know, and they thought Ebron would stick. And I've been calling for Ebron to move out and replace Juju as that power slot receiver. Mm-hmm. Just get him out of the interior. And now we, we see, you know, Fryer Moose still needs work and he needs to get stronger. But, I mean, you make catches like he made. <laughs> Gosh. I know we're jumping around, but, uh, uh, yeah, it uh, – <laughs> it's funny. I saw a show last week 
Ingram. I'm unsure of what's going on there. The reports are unclear. The Steelers are answering their phone. Okay, great. They're fielding offers. Who wouldn't? You answer your phone and you listen. Yeah. Does that, does that mean that Ingram is mad? Well, all of a sudden he had this groin injury. Possible. But, and then with Ebron, uh, all of a sudden out and uh, wanting more opportunities. The national shows started this, what's wrong with the Steelers locker room? And I'm thinking, what's right? How happy can everybody be when, especially Ebron, somebody who's dissatisfied and really isn't helping all that much anyway, doesn't really buy into the the team, uh, not the team concept, but what, what the Steelers believe in fundamentally as, as, as in toughness in football, in what we showed, what we saw against Cleveland, hmm. kind of hard fought on the ground, three yards in the cloud of dust, yeah. and then throw an RPO in for 50 yards at the end. Uh, that's just not Ebron's game. That's He, he belongs somewhere fancier. Does, does that mean the locker room's in tumult? Because this guy is unhappy, I, I, I got to believe the locker room is deliriously happy that they found their that they found their identity back. Yeah, that they're going with this now. I, I can't speak for Ingram, but if he's unsatisfied, too, the same thing. I mean, Highsmith's showing me a lot. I know he's not getting the sacks people might expect. Man, he's a rugged run defender, and, yeah. and he's where he needs to be seemingly all the time. Right. Yeah, I don't see how they can go back to putting Ebron on the field, or even if he does, if, if he's not traded, maybe just a handful of snaps. I don't think you tinker with what's the chemistry that's there between Fairmouth and Gentry, and maybe even pull up Raider. Let's get some uh, three tight end sets. Let's go, you know, heavy because that running game, they're just, they just wore the Browns down. Or Derek Watt. I, I've been advocating Derek Watt more on as a slot tight end. So, yeah, Raider. Um, they have so many receivers, and, and then you lose Juju, and I'm thinking, okay, Ebron can do that. You've got Claypool for the slot. Washington's a, a rugged wide receiver, uh, I, I, and, and you got Watt, and then you've got Banner to come back and be that third tight end. So I don't know, really know that you miss Ebron, and, and I don't know, you know, you could get a comp pick for him if he signs a lucrative enough free agent contract. I don't know if he's still that caliber player. If somebody else is going to be interested enough to get back a sixth rounder, say, because, you know, I think it was you that said uh, uh, trade him for a seventh rounder. I, You know, I don't know if you want to do that right now, mm -hmm. because in theory, you could get that back at the end of the year as a comp pick. Got it. Got it. Well, closing out the offense here, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't give some some love to Matt Canada. I feel like this was the first time I saw the the pre-snap motions and the, uh, the 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 jet sweeps and really the plays building off of each other and Ben looking comfortable with with the fakes. There was one play where it was a like a fake handoff and then he rolled out and uh, it was a nice throw. Um, but it seemed like everything fit together. Did you notice that this weekend in terms of the play calling? I'm also noticing Ben's commentary is very favorable to Canada, and that he's not always been he's not always like that. Mm -hmm. Offensive coordinators. So he's really meshing with Canada. And yes, uh, I, I really like the play calling. I did. You know, Matt Canada might not be the most 
warm guy to, for a media. He, he just doesn't seem to care for the media and all that. He, he just doesn't want to deal with the media. It, it strikes me as a total college coach, mm-hmm. but I, I, it's growing on me. I'm liking it. Uh, that uh, uh, the reverse to Claypool was it Claypool? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was really that was a nice play, and they're 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 utilizing Ray Ray um, well. I, yeah, I like it, and uh, of course Najee. You know that worm dance was kind of symbolic of <laughs> of how he runs. Yeah. I'm not going to be stopped yeah. if I have to do this little worm thing to get a few extra inches. I'm, and, you know, third and five, he got five when it didn't look like he was going to get five. Fourth and one looked like he was stopped two yards behind the line. That was the greatest one yard run I've seen. Right. Yeah. Brings yeah. to mind Walter Payton in that way. And, you know, of course, Franco Harris, the stats are so similar between Franco and Najee Harris yeah. in their first six, seven games. And this is where Franco took off. He went on that six game, 100 yard streak. Mm-hmm. I believe he played in the. 14 game season and he got his thousand when it really that that was tough to do now 17 games you should get a thousand yeah and Fryermuth and Heath Miller I mean the stats are so comparable there I know it's just easy and people probably want to kill me for making these obvious comparisons but it's too obvious yeah so I I you wanted to maybe talk about Fryermuth's comp yeah I well I I the first thing I want to say is just with Harris he never gives up on a play and I I'm waiting for that one moment this season where it looks like he's bottled up and then he just, pew, and then he's gone for like an 80 yard touchdown. I could see it. Cause he just doesn't quit on a play. Or that moment when he's bottled up, they blow him dead. Then he takes off for 80 yards and he wants to know why it was blown dead. Cause his forward progress wants to stop. I think we're going to have those issues with him too. Right. Right. Yeah, he's definitely special. Conditioned to horrible calls, I guess. (laughs) The other thing I wanted to point out, too, is just in terms of Canada, you know, with the reverses and the pre-snap motion, the jet sweeps and all those things, is it's putting things on film to where the defense is going to be expecting it and they're not going to be certain. So I think that there is an element of just building off of those plays. Let's say that they run that same formation now on that reverse they run the reverse, but they fake it and they do uh, inside handoff or they run play action off of it. So I think I think that's where the effectiveness of Canada's offense really is going to grow is just everything that's being put on film. Teams now have to prepare for all of it. So, uh, you know, that's that's super exciting. And let's shift gears a bit, Jim, and jump over to the defense, because really it was the defense that that put this team in position to win the game, especially without a kicking game there at the end. I don't know how they pulled that off. Um, but to me, it all starts with Cameron Hayward, who, you know, not only has he been the Steelers defensive MVP, I know everybody wants to say TJ Watt, but Cam has been unstoppable. If he continues to play this way, I think he's got to be in the conversation for NFL defensive player of the year. Now his stats aren't gaudy, but I mean, just consistently what he does uh, from a game to game basis but it really all started with him and that defensive line maintained their their gap integrity, and they shut down the number one rated rushing attack, which is no small feat. Um, what was your overall impression with the defensive performance this Sunday against Cleveland? Uh, it seemed like they talked Cleveland out of running the ball and and doing what they do poorly with an, a banged up quarterback. It's not they don't do that poorly, and and their receivers were more to blame than Baker Mayfield was. Mm -hmm. 
but they talked them out of running the ball just by formation. So uh, I, I don't know if Isaiah Bugs had that good of a game. He had 24 snaps, and I had said after last game, I'm sure his snap count is going to go lower. It went higher. So I was wrong about that. So I'm assuming without watching Bugs too closely that he played a much better game than he did against Seattle. Uh, they played a lot more base defense. Um, uh, Cam Hayward really doesn't have the kind of stats to talk about the awards you're talking about. I just hope he gets – I think he's getting the recognition he deserves, at least from Steelers fans and nationally. And he deserves all of that. But one and a half sacks – I know the position he plays doesn't doesn't help your stats, but he's going to have to he, – he would really have to pour that on. It's funny. We could vote for Cam Hayward as the team MVP and T.J. Watt as defensive player of the year just because you've got to have those stats. Yeah. I, I wonder if we're starting to take T.J. for granted. There, You know, he, uh, he, he came up with a, a fumble recovery, a key fumble recovery, and as he said, hey, I just fell on a ball. It doesn't take anything to fall on a ball. Schobert's the one that, that pried it loose. And, yeah, uh, Schobert was better. Um, uh, it, it was. I, I, I like the philosophy that we're going to play our base defense. We're using a nose tackle. Even if he did stink last game, we're using bugs. And uh, uh, I saw Henry Mondo flying around. Yeah. Isaiah Loudermilk got a sack. I, 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 that had to be the one where Baker Mayfield ran out of bounds after zero yards. I can't remember Loudermilk's sack, but Loudermilk's playing well for a, a late-round rookie. Mm -hmm. uh, the defensive line, and you're going to get to it back, I assume, soon enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they have they were, uh, you know, that Buffalo game, uh, when they opened the season, I thought that they couldn't play a better defensive game. And I don't know if the game against the Browns was as good, but it was up there. It just felt like across the board, pressure on the quarterback, stopping the run. It just felt like overall they played well. Um, one play, yeah, one player that I felt like didn't get a lot of credit this game, and there was some criticism of him, was Devin Bush because he bit on that inside fake uh, on that touchdown. I felt like he was aggressive and all over the field. And it was the first time the season where I saw him in the backfield, you know, uh, blowing up plays, just being everywhere. Um, so sure. He, he could have been more stable in his pursuit of the runner there, but I felt like he played an overall good game. I thought so too. About that touchdown run. I thought he was a little over aggressive because uh, Minka had that shoulder of that running back covered so bush came flying in needlessly but i'll say this that cut that that runner made <laughs> i mean we wanted to know why this dearness johnson put up such a numbers with the top two running backs out when he put them up a, a buck 46 against cardinals yeah something like that yeah now we can see why yeah <laughs> you know, who's this guy oh he's that guy oh he's gail sayers okay I did not know he could cut like that. That was that was elite. Yeah. So yeah. let's give Devin a little uh, uh, comfort that anybody would have got beat on that. He right. was a little over aggressive. However, uh, as you say, they were trying to screen the Steelers to death, and he was he was all over. He was he was the main man defending those screens. Not that the he did a, 
that great of a job, but he he's got the quickness and yeah. he was sideline to sideline. And um, you know, you look at his stats and you say, wow, they moved up for the 10th pick of the draft. And you know, when you move up for an inside linebacker, you're expecting more than what we're what we're complimenting him on. You know, it's Ray Lewis. That's what you expect. That's the kind of player that's up there. Luke Keekley. Those are the kind of players that are middle linebackers mm-hmm. at number 10 in the draft. And he just hasn't been that overwhelming force. Yeah. So, uh, and we'll give him time with his ACL continue, but this was a nice sign and he's a fast player and he was a sure tackler in this game. So uh, that's a step. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm hopeful that, you know, if this was his first, at least for me, the first game where I saw him actually look quick, more, more certain and assured in his uh, decision-making and his, his reaction, that maybe we start to see him just like the rest of the team, incrementally improving each game that by the end of the season, maybe he's back to where he was or even better uh, prior to that injury. Uh, and just quickly touching on the secondary, they were pretty quiet. Um, some good, nice run support from Terrell Edmonds. I saw him up there, um, you know, around the line of scrimmage, stopping the run. Uh, Cameron Sutton had a nice play. I yeah. think it was on a little screen that he blew up in the backfield. But, you know, the secondary was quiet, but that's not a bad thing. They really didn't give up uh, the big play. Well, you know, right after that play that Sutton made, Joe Hayden made a really nice play. And, and I don't know if you've noticed, it seems like teams are staying away from Joe Hayden. And every, every time they test him, he's, he's, he's a solid tackler. You know, I, I wanted to dismiss him a little bit because I had heard the Steelers did not extend his contract because they felt he lost a half a step. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing it. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing I, I, I see. I think he's one of the stalwarts of this defense. I think he's playing exceptionally well. So smart. And he's a sure tackler for a corner. Yeah. And I thought Minka got back to to bringing bringing load as a tackler after an awful Seattle game. Uh, I know he did miss one tackle, but um, he had a big pass breakup. Uh, it was at the end of the game, one of those last drives, key yeah. third or fourth down pass breakup. Yeah, might have been a fourth down. Uh, you know, he's a good player. They're, yeah. they're try, they tried, and I'm sure they're not done trying because Trey Norwood's still developing, but. And, and Minka shows his value when he's not your center fielder. He shows what you're missing when you have someone else back there. Yeah. And he did. Get, he has gotten beat deep, probably trying to do too much because the defensive coaches want him to do more. Right. So I think, you know, where Tomlin was criticizing him for losing the lid on the defense, um, it's, it's because I think he knows they all want so much more out of him, more like a strong safety, you know? So uh, I thought Minka played well. And you, you mentioned Edmonds. Yeah. And that defense overall, the tackling and the, the urgency they played with, they played so hard and they have to remember that. Just yeah. remember that and keep playing that hard. I, they have to play that way against the bears, just like they play against the Browns. I know it's a totally different level for them mentally but they have to, they're not that good. They have to play this hard. Right. They're that gritty scrappy. uh, And I've described them on my other show. They're, they're an ugly team, but they they're getting better every week and they're going to, it's going to be a battle. Um, And if they can keep that going and that's their identity. And if they can sneak into the playoffs, they're going to be one of those teams 
that you don't want to play. So it's good to see that they're progressing. And then, Jim, let's close this out. Special teams, we got to talk that fake field goal. It's a, it's a minor miracle they were able to win not having a field goal kicker, um, especially as tight as the game was. I know when Boswell went out, I was like, ah, that's it. I don't know if they could pull it off. They had to go for it every down there. Um, and I think that frame of the touchdown was on a fourth down play, if I'm remembering. But the fake field goal, I know for me, um, I'm okay with it. I know it didn't work out. Boswell got hurt in the process. Looking back on it, um, was it the best call? No. But at times you have to be aggressive and you have to take your risks because if it would have worked out, Tomlin looks like a genius. Um, but it's you still, know. how do you how how do you look like a genius on a first half play? You know, it, and and that's that's what I don't get about all the animosity, all the rage on social media over three points in the first half. I I, I don't want to. I mean, I know people are wrapped up in this game. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't like Tomlin, uh, his, his X's and O's on field. Oh, we love him off the field. He's a great guy. But on the field, I, I don't agree with all that. And this, anytime one of these examples comes up, it becomes the, the Tomlin, the people that like Tomlin versus the people that hate Tomlin. And the people that hate Tomlin probably rooted against the Steelers to win that game and missed out on it. You called it satisfying. I call it invigorating. <laughs> I mean, it was more than satisfying to me. 15-10, the way they played. And then they played without the kicker. And I'm not an analytics guy, but analytics guys for years have been saying, go for it every fourth down. Don't kick field goals. Don't punt. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, this was the opportunity. Yeah. And the Friar move touchdown was on a fourth down. And if you do the math, uh, they scored one fewer point without the kicker than they would have. I mean. You know, things change, but if you look at if they would have kicked the field goal there, that was three points. And then if they would have kicked the field goal instead of gone for the touchdown, that was uh, minus three points. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, going for one instead of two. Anyway, it would have been 16-10. It would have been the same thing. The Browns would have needed a touchdown at the end, mm-hmm. uh, whether you had your kicker or not. And it was, it was fun to watch without a kicker, just knowing that you had to go for everything. So it was cool. There were there were there were really wasn't any deliberation about on fourth down. You had to go for it. It wasn't fun for my heart, Jim. My blood pressure. I loved it, man. I loved it. Uh, you know, didn't Boswell throw either a touchdown or a two point conversion to Alejandro Villanueva once? That Tom was the genius that nobody remembers. Only, when they blow up, people remember. And then Tom, you know, like a like the good guy that he is, took took responsibility. And I don't know what that means. I take responsibility. But then he said later, the ball wasn't snapped in a timely manner and it allowed them to take a picture of it. (laughs) So apparently the long snapper did something wrong. I don't know what that means. Yeah. You can extrapolate a meaning there, but he took responsibility and then blamed the long snapper. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it is a new long snapper. I can, here's my, here's, Tomlin makes the call. Danny Smith comes up to him and says, Mike, Mike, I love that play too. They practiced this play for years. And F on two, it's usually a part of it too. Uh, but they, they've, they've practiced that play for years and Boswell throws a beautiful pass. But I can just see Danny Smith running up the mic. Mike, Mike, 
we haven't done that play with the new long snapper yet. He doesn't know X about this play. Yeah. Mike going, oh, geez. And then seeing the problem, whatever it was, unfold. And the defense took a picture of it. I, I don't I don't know. That That's all I envision. Oh, and Mike saying, oh, yeah, Danny, you told me we haven't worked that with the new long snapper yet. My bad. Yeah. I, I don't know why. Uh, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. I was saying, well, it, it, because they won, it makes for a, a nice humorous anecdote. If they would have lost, it would have been a completely different story. But the beautiful thing is they're four and three. They're on a three-game winning streak, and now they have games against the Bears and the Lions, which are super winnable contests, before they take on the Chargers, who are now looking human uh, after losing to New England. And if you look at the back end of the schedule, what we once thought was uh, brutal and uh, obstacles that were unable to be overcome, you look at the Titans, they've lost Derrick Henry. There's some speculation he could be out for the year. You look at the Chiefs, they're not playing at the level they used to. The Steelers can be in all these games. So where do you see them going from here, Jim? And can they not just compete for a playoff berth? Can they compete for the AFC North title? Sure. Uh, To answer that, without getting into it, sure. And we all know that. And we've seen these so-called difficult schedules unravel in this way. Uh, You know, the toughest team they played was first, and they were able to jump out and surprise the Bills a little bit. But I think your your thought process is an indication of where everyone else's thought process is, and hopefully not the players and the coaching staff, where you not only looked at the Bears, you looked at the Lions. These two winnable games, then Chargers. So you're thinking Chargers, are they? Have we, haven't we seen this enough yes. over the last five, ten years? Yes. My, my feeling is that you have to play hard uh, means you can't look three games down the road. The Bears game has to be the biggest, the Super Bowl for them. They have to proceed this way. And I'm not, I, I'm not scolding you. I'm just kind of <laughs> warning them. Hopefully, you know, because when Mike Tomlin watches our podcast, he will remember that, oh, yes, one game at a time. Thanks, Wex. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we, I think all, everybody should get that mentality uh, so that, because I, I can just hear the questions put to Tomlin about the Chargers yeah. this week or or the team this week. You know, the Bears are not as bad as the Lions, but you know, let's just let's just think about the Bears. And it's a Monday night, so you get an extra day, and that will be cool. And uh the second of back-to-back home games is a comfortable situation for them. I've been saying it all year as it looked like it, but they should finally uh, put that together, even coming off a Monday night game. But one game at a time, and yeah. uh, there's a new injury every week in this league, so I hate to look too far ahead. But, uh, you know, it, it always unravels this way. And at the beginning of the year, we looked at the, the division as, as such a strong division, and I had said this then, that it reminded me of the uh, NFC East in the late 80s, early 90s, when if you won that division, if you, if you somehow survived, that brutal, brutal schedule, you would win the Super Bowl. You were favored. You were so finely honed. And so that's what that's what's the beauty of this division. And so that makes their schedule, the rest of their schedule, easier because they're really honed. If Cleveland's a last place team, that was a brutal game. That was savage. It was it was just glorious. Yeah. <laughs> 
in, in how hard they had to play to beat the last place team in the division. Yeah. So it's going to be like that. Right. I remember after the, uh, the Bills win that you talked about how they had to be on guard against the letdown against the the Raiders. And I think it's kind of the same thing heading into this game against the um the Bears. The, you know, the Tomlin infamous Tomlin special. They have to uh, come out ready to play. Uh, not this one. Not this one. Uh no, because it's Monday. You get an extra day and you're coming home. You you won on the road. You're coming home. Uh, it was it was off a bye, so they weren't. It wasn't like that Browns game exasperate tired them out. Uh, you know, I, I don't feel that same thing. I, I don't, especially how hard they had to play. They learned that lesson. They have to realize they're not that talented. They have to play that hard again. I think that realization smacked them in the face. So. Okay. All right. Well, let, let's hope that they can uh, keep it going and, and get the win Monday night and. Uh... We'll have to adjust our schedule next week because I don't think we want to go get off of three hours of sleep and record a podcast. So let me you know, let, let me add this about these so-called Tomlin specials. You saw what the Bengals lost to this week, right? A week after blowing out the Ravens in a what had to be an emotional game. It's those games coming off Ravens games. You know, you're gonna lose. Th- just it's not just Mike Tomlin that does this. Every team in the NFL goes through these ups and downs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, after their first game against the Ravens, they play the Vikings on a Thursday night. So we'll have to see how that comes together in December. All right, Jim, it's time for the terrible three. You ready? Uh oh. <laughs> uh, all right. So you you talked a bit about Melvin Ingram. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Are they going to trade Melvin Ingram? And we'll find out today if they do. And what do you think they will get in return if they do trade him? Oh, well, not much. You know, fifth, sixth. I don't see them trading him. Mm-hmm. Maybe if they get a fourth, okay. Because Taco Charlton, as much as I got blowback on Twitter again for saying that he's looked good to me in practice. And I'm not supposed to write about what I see in practice, but that was a generality. I was surprised. Who's 98? And I had forgotten they had picked him up. Mm-hmm. Because he he he's, he's built and he looks like a first round pick, yeah. and he he was flashing around the practice field, and so he got I don't know if he got credit for the sack, but he he tripped somebody up, and I think TJ fell on him, and TJ got credit for the sack. But Tacos played ten snaps, and he, he looks okay. Uh, he he looks he's an NFL body. I'll I'll tell you that he's got NFL athleticism. And uh, the other guy, Truska, they seem to believe T.J. Watt is, seems to be big on him, that he plays the run well. and So it's possible, but I'm not so sure that this is all what we're to believe in reports. All I see is that they're fielding calls, and the, you know, I'm sure Ingram's agent reached out and asked them, hey, what are you going to do with this guy? Uh-huh. We have some disappointment, but I watch him. He seems like a total team player to me. Yeah, he's 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 enthusiastic and practice works hard. I wouldn't just give him away. No, I wouldn't give him away. But you start talking fourth rounder. That would be a surprise. And yes, I'd take I'd take a fourth round. Yeah. All right, Jim, the next one. Uh, Pat Freyermuth, is he more Heath Miller, Mark Bruner or Eric Green? I think you know where I stand on this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's Heath. I, I just I, I it's it's kind of, you know, irreverent to just throw that kind of comparison around. But, man, I thought he looked like he early in camp. And, and 
the need to improve as a blocker was he too. I, I, everybody remembers Heath as a great blocker, but he wasn't that great blocker as a, as a rookie, but he got stronger and he got better and uh, he became very effective. And Matt Spath was the better blocker on the other side. So I think we're seeing that dynamic of the, the giant 610 blocking <laughs> tight end on the other side with Gentry becoming Matt Spath in front of our eyes. So, uh, you know, Mark Bruner was just a blocker from the beginning and could catch. Uh, Fryermuth is like he, the receivers who have the want to to block, and you can just see they're going to get better as blockers. Right. Eric Green doesn't. Eric Green's the most naturally gifted of all of them and just didn't have the want to that either one of those guys had. Mm-hmm. And that's why they let him go. And that, you know, he, he, he directed a Super Bowl shuffle before that Chargers debacle in 94. <laughs> So, I mean, that's what he's going to be remembered for in Pittsburgh. I I don't want to go back to Liberty College again for this quarterback because of Eric Green. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, for a, a second-round pick, if he is anything close to Heath Miller, that's a massive win for the Steelers there. Well, it's uh, funny. You know, they have ranked, I was told they had Fryermuth ranked 30, 31, 32 in the 30s, early, but first round. And, uh, you know, Heath was drafted like 27th without being looked at. Uh, without being timed because he had an injury. And and so he kind of fell a little bit, but I think they had him ranked both around the same spot. Yeah. Yep. And then closing out here, Jim, this uh, rivalry with the Browns has intensified over the last few years. And I wouldn't say it's quite to the level of that with the Baltimore Ravens, but it's definitely becoming something that fans look forward to. And uh, there's definitely some disdain and distaste for, for their players. Who's more of an enemy to Steelers Nation? Is it Baker Mayfield or Miles Garrett? You know, that's another reason I'm disappointed in Ben uh, with this uh, uh, um, Miles Garrett, Mason Rudolph situation. He doesn't seem to like Mason, and now he's glorifying Miles after the game. I Maybe it's for self-preservation for the next meeting or meetings because he knows Dan Moore just didn't really look like he could block him in pass pro. Uh, I, it's miles Garrett for me, you know, I, I, I guess the NFL's rehabilitating him, his image, but you know, that, that, that thug, uh, maneuver was slamming his helmet, uh, Mason's helmet onto Mason and then lying uh, about Mason using a racial epitaph, you know, and, and now we're embracing miles Garrett. That bothers me more than anything Baker Mayfield could do. I Baker Mayfield's a tough little guy. I don't know if he's worthy of a number one pick. I watch Kenny Pickett and I see Baker Mayfield and I'm like, this guy's so easily sacked. He's small. I just not. And you, you wonder how was Baker Mayfield the number one pick of an entire draft? It's like moving up for a, an inside linebacker at number 10 and not getting Luke Keekley or, or Ray Lewis. Yeah. You got, okay. It's a good guy. Okay. But Baker Mayfield just doesn't, isn't big enough. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I think he's, I think I like him. I kind of like him uh, as for Brown. Miles Garrett, I don't like it all. I don't like that he's getting off with lying about Mason Rudolph. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they get to play one more time. Thankfully, it will be in Pittsburgh. Uh, there were some comments that were made after the game where uh, Ben made in reference to Miles Garrett's cemetery in his front yard where he had all the quarterback's names that he sacked. He said that Garrett could have, have the tombstone as he'll take the win. So, um, you know, great win. Yeah. And then Garrett had some things to say about winning in Ben's house um, that weren't 
it should be posted on a bullet board too. I can't remember the specific comment, but it's like, Miles, shut up, man. Yeah. I mean, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you want to do this again? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully Dan Moore's is ready for, uh, you know, round two. And I think that's the second to last game. I think that's a Monday nighter in Pittsburgh. So everybody will be charged up for that game. Well, Jim, we made it to the end here, the end of uh, episode number eight. And uh, listeners and viewers, thank you so much. We appreciate all your support here of the podcast as we continue to record super early, uh, 5 a.m. And we post around 6, 6.15. Uh, we're going to bring this to you weekly. Our schedule next week will be adjusted a bit just because it's a Monday night game. We'll let everybody know when that will be coming out. Please give Jim a follow on Twitter at Jim Wexel and check out his work on the Still City Insider. You can check out my work at distillstudy.com and give me a follow at Still Study. <clears throat> and we hope everybody has a great week. And let's cheer on the Steelers to another win against the Chicago Bears. And Jim, have a wonderful week and good luck to the Bobcats. Thanks, Jeremy. You do a great job with this. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. Wednesday. Uh, All right. Get All right. Off. Take care. <laughs> see everybody.